Hi, everyone. You're listening to another episode of the Style Files podcast. I'm your host, Paloma Contreras, and joining me today is a talented young emerging artist, Josh Young. Josh Young is a Chicago-based artist, designer, and tastemaker. A graduate of Italy's renowned Università Cattolica del Sacro Cuore, Josh's six years spent in Milan heavily influenced and crafted his overall artistic style. After returning to the U.S., Josh began working as a designer in the textile industry in New York City's Flatiron District. Inspired by the fusion of old-world elements married with bold modern-day techniques, he has been experimenting with an avant-garde approach to classical portraits since 2009. Josh has appeared in Architectural Digest, Al Decor, Vogue Italia, GQ Italia, Domino Magazine, My Domain, O, The Oprah Magazine, House Beautiful, and The Marin. His collaborations have included work with Nate Berkus Associates, Paloma Contreras, I know her, Kate Marker, and large-scale commercial projects like the newly built Draper Hotel in New York City and the Bulgari Hotel in London. He has also collaborated with brands such as William Sonoma Home, Circa Lighting, and CB2. Josh is scheduled to show at next year's renowned Salone del Mobile in Milan, and until then, he's constantly working up a brilliant new collection to share with his followers. Josh, we're so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great. It's so fun to connect today. You as well. You as well. It's a crazy time, but um, I am doing okay. Uh, Taking it day by day, I think like anyone else is right now, so... Exactly. Well, have you found that this time has given you a little bit more um, sort of bandwidth to be creative? It has. It hasn't. Oddly enough, it hasn't. I mean, to be honest, we've had our busiest two months like ever, which I'm so fortunate and so grateful for. Um, But it's absolutely been a a period in time where we're kind of sitting back and reflecting on, you know, what's important in life, right? Not only what's important in life, but also too with my work, like what it is that I want to communicate with. I think that we get so caught up in our day to day that we kind of lose that. Um, And this has been such an amazing period. I've always been someone to try to kind of look for the silver lining in things. Um, And I've been really trying to spend some time kind of sitting back and again, trying to think of how do I want my my work to speak to others. And um, yeah, I don't know, it's it's kind of surreal, but I'm trying to take um, the best approach that I can with it all. So. Well, good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you've been busy. It seems like everybody's realizing as they spend so much time at home to do to sort of zhuzh up there and can while they're spending an amount of time at home. Totally, completely. So good. Hopefully that continues. And I agree with you. It's been an interesting time because thankfully we've been pretty busy. Most of our projects are still moving forward. Some things are sort of um, on pause based on where they're located and the ordinances there if construction can continue or not. But um, all in all, it seems like people are wanting to move forward, which has kept us busy. And in some way, I feel like I've had more space to think creatively than I do in my day to day, mostly because I've been working from home in a home office by myself. And typically, you know, I have my team around me and we have our shop, which you've been to, you were with us last November. 
um, and people pop in and want to say hello or they have questions. So it's been nice not to have as many interruptions, but totally, um, totally. It's a good time to reflect, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I've always been someone to to adapt. I mean, I grew up like a crazy gypsy. So I feel like I've always been able to kind of take a really crazy period in time, uh, kind of like digest it, accept it. And really, like I said before, try to look for that silver lining and move forward with it in the best way possible. And I think that's what I've been kind of doing lately is, you know, this, this, whether we want to accept it or believe it or not, like, this is such a, I say it to my husband all the time, like, we are, we're always living in history, but this period in time, I think is going to change just everything about our lives, right? Yeah. The, our personal lives, how we conduct business, how we conduct even outings with friends. It, it, it's crazy how it's, it's going to change that. And what that's going to look like um, is still a bit unknown. Um, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the, the effects will be really far reaching. Totally. So you touched a little bit on your growing up experience, your childhood. You said you grew mm-hmm. up like a gypsy moving around. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and how that informed your aesthetic or sort of started you on the path that you are on now. Yeah. So I was, I was born in Pennsylvania and I grew up there till the time I was about 13. Then my parents had moved us to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where I did my high school years. And at 19, moved to Milan, Italy, which is where I did my university years. But when I really kind of think back to it, and I've actually been doing a lot of this now, given the time that we have, um, my childhood and my upbringing in Pennsylvania, I think, uh, absolutely really um, kind of curated and formed my eye and my curiosity for the past. Um, it was a small little historical town, a lot of colonial references and um, I remember even being like six and seven years old and, you know, in this small town, they took old schoolhouses and old farmhouses and they would convert them into, you know, the local butcher and grocer and boutiques. And I remember like walking in and one of the things that always caught my eye was there were always these beautiful old portraits, Um, a lot of them folk art, a lot of them from the colonial period. And I was always just had this weird fascination with them. And my parents even noticed like that I would always be drawn to them. Again, they would be in line ordering whatever, and I would be completely enamored by them. And to me, they were always like a kind of like a portal to the past. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until recently that I started making and connecting those dots as far as like my portrait art, like where, where did that stem from? And I think that definitely stemmed from growing up in that small town in Pennsylvania and just having them everywhere and accessible and, um, was completely enamored by it. But yeah, my upbringing was a bit crazy, like I said, as far as moving around and whatnot. But um, the different periods and the different chapters in my life absolutely helped form who I am as a person today and absolutely has helped uh, form my work. Sure. So you mentioned you spent your university years in Milan. What were Mm -hmm. you studying at the time? And what was the experience of spending those formative years in a foreign country teaching you? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Look, I again, I grew up in a very small town. I never had traveled. I never even left the Eastern time zone to the time I was 19. Europe was something that had always intrigued me. 
Um, I always knew I wanted to live it, not just be someone who was like, you know, I find interest in Europe. I would love to maybe travel there. I was like, no, this is, I want this to be a part of my life at some point. And after I graduated high school, I took this crazy leap. I cannot even believe like that my parents even went with it as far as allowing me to go at such a young age. But um, moved to Milan at 19, not knowing any of the language, not knowing anybody there. I just wanted something completely drastic and a complete change. And I really wanted to discover not only what it is that I wanted to do, but more so who I was as a person. Um, and moving, it's such a weird thing, but when you moved somewhere where literally nobody knows you, nobody knows your past, nobody knows anyone who does know you, it's such a, an amazing experience of self-discovery. And at 19, I mean, that's such a coming of age, age, if you will. Um, and to have experienced that at such a young age and to have gone there for, to university, um, it was just an absolutely the foundation of who I am today. And, and again, what it is that I do. Um, I went there and I studied at uh, Catolica, which is a really well-known university there. And I actually entered as a communications major. I had always thought of myself as an artist, as a creative, but I never really thought that I could turn that into a full-time career. Mm-hmm. As I think, I think many creatives are that way, right? Starting off, it's sure. kind of like, I don't know how this is going to pan <laughs> out into a full-time job. Um, so I did a communications degree. I knew probably after just even one year that this is probably not going to be what I'm going to do full-time. But um, I kind of look back at my experience in Milan as uh, the education itself, right? Like, the piazzas, the galleries, the streets, the whole experience of meeting people from different industries there, like that was my education and absolutely helped form my eye and and my aesthetic, if you will. So did you end up completing your studies in communications or did you change majors at some point? No, yeah, I completed a degree in communications. I actually did a minor then in production design, which is what I did my thesis on as part of like the creative uh, end of it, if you will, to kind of... um, stimulate me Mm -hmm. but no I graduated there with a communications degree um now where I then went was completely different uh I actually got my my first job out of college was in the textile industry in New York um which is actually a, a funny story how that came about but no I think going back I always knew even while I was studying it that this was not my calling and mm-hmm. I just think at, at a young age, as many creatives have done, you're in it, you kind of know it, you have that gut feeling that this isn't your true calling. But I, I, I don't think I was ready yet to kind of acknowledge that. Right. Well, and there's also those outside pressures or voices telling you to choose something sensible, something that is going to provide a safe path for you where you can make a decent living and have job security and all of that. And that isn't always, you know, the case for people in creative ventures. So no, absolutely. And I mean, starving artists, I mean, I've heard (laughs) it all my life, you know what I mean? So again, 
I mean, I have been painting and drawing since I was five and six years old. I mean, I remember my my parents even built me my first studio in our basement at 13. It was just it was always something I was passionate about. And mm -hmm. people had always encouraged me to do it. But it was nothing that I thought that would actually become a career because I never had anything around me that kind of solidified that or gave me an idea that this could be something that I could do full time. Right. So then tell us about the move to New York and how this job in the textile industry came to be. Yeah. So I think this was really the first kind of eye opening experience for me as far as, OK, maybe I can turn a creative path into a full time job. So I had a friend who worked in the textile industry and would come to um, Proposte and Lake Como, which is like this really large international textile fair. And he would come every spring and I'd take the train up. And um, it was actually to start, it was just to, to see him, to visit him, uh, to catch up since he was only there once a year. And he would go to these fairs. And at these fairs, they obviously go out and they buy from various artists from all over the world, these beautiful patterns. And then his job was basically to translate that with the mills into these beautiful fabric. Um, and I remember one time we were out for dinner and he had this stack of artwork and I was just barely listening. I was just so like amazed at like what it is that he did and how the process of translating that to fabric, um, it was just so interesting to me. And I remember like going through it and, and, and I was questioning things about it. And I think he got a sense real quick that I had an eye mm -hmm. um, and that I, I kind of gravitated towards it pretty quick. So he, I mean, at the time I'm like, what, 21, he offered me uh, an internship to come to New York that summer to just kind of feel it out. He had no formal education in it as well. It was just kind of like, you know, he had an eye for it. He he had a, a passion. And I think he kind of saw a bit of myself within him. Um, or I should say a little bit of himself within me. Offered me the internship. I did it. I loved it. And that then became my first job after graduation, um, which was really fun. It was really fun. It was a weird period for me because I had... It's funny, all of my friends and coworkers at the time at Milan kind of warned me, they're like, you've been here for six years. You are going to experience like a reverse culture shock like you like you don't even know. And I did. And I, I, I moved to New York at 25, you know, totally green, first actual type of corporate job per se. And it was fun. I loved it. I learned so much. And the thing I actually learned the most was that I was not cut out for a nine to five job. And it, the thing with me was I never had full creative control. Um, so I was always like butting heads with other creative directors and uh, again, learned really quick that there was this inner voice that was like, this isn't, this isn't for you. This is such a fun and cool experience and job, but I don't, th this, this isn't it yet. And I knew it. How long were you there? I was there for almost two years. Okay. And it, it, and everything in my life has always been that way. Like I will, it happened in Milan. It happened in New York. I just woke up one day and I was like, I can't do this. Like I'm done. And I went in, I think he was shocked. Um, and I resigned and he was like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, to be honest, I have no idea, but this isn't it. Um, and I think he knew, he, I mean, he, 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 I think again, he was surprised because I was doing well and I, I think I was, you know, 
fulfilling everything that he wanted me to do, but I didn't ha- it was not fulfilling that creative vision that I had. And I, and again, I knew that I needed to have that full creative control or else I wouldn't, in order to be happy, I needed that. Right. So, so then at that point, did you have an inkling that you would end up doing something on your own? I always, always, always knew I would do something on my own. I just did not know what exactly it was going to be. And more Mm. importantly, when that would be. Right. Um, And it took, I mean, look, I went from job to job to job. And it always ended up in either me resigning, me, me getting laid off, me getting fired. And I was like, I remember being, what, 27 at the time when this all occurred. And I was like, Oh my God, like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, and it wasn't until we moved to Chicago that that, that, that was my, you know, aha moment, if you will. So what prompted the move to Chicago? And at that point, had you met your boyfriend who would then become your husband? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I met Ignacio actually back in Milan. So I brought him back with me. Um, we got married in New York. And it's actually a funny story how we landed in Chicago because we came out here on a complete whim for our first wedding and uh, wedding anniversary. It's just a city that I always wanted to visit. I thought it was very um, beautiful, loved it, came back, didn't think anything about it. And then two months later, Ignacio gets a call and I'll never forget. He like came into the living room. He's like, I just got an offer, a really cool offer uh, for a job. And you'll never believe where it's at. I'm like, where? He's like, Chicago. I'm like, well, you know, they were offering to like fly us out to see if we liked it. I'm like, you and I know we love the city. It's a great place. Like, I think it would be a great place for us to to kind of start our journey here in the States together as a married couple. Um, And we moved out here. And the, the crazy funny story is at the time I was working for an ad agency and they actually had another office here in Chicago. So they were allowing me to kind of do like a easy transfer per se. And um, again, working in the working in that industry, not liking it, knowing it was not my calling, but I just went with it because Mm -hmm. it paid my bills and it was our second or third day living here. And I got a phone call and the company did a mass layoff and I was one of them. So here's Ignacio and I super young, not a lot of money, made the move knowing that you know, we could afford it because of his job and my job at the time. And now I'm on unemployment. And it was such a like, jarring moment in my life. And I remember thinking too. I mean, I was completely lost, completely lost, like, literally, what am I doing with my life at this point? Um, and again, I had that voice inside that was like, you can't, you cannot go back to that nine to five. It's just, it's going to be Groundhog's Day. It's going, you're going to com- completely keep repeating this same problem over and over again. And we had this beautiful apartment and it was bare and it was empty. And the only thing I knew to do was, you know, to create work for the walls. So I started painting in the bedroom one night. And at the time I was applying to other jobs and, you know, would go, would get the offer, wouldn't take it because I'm like, it's just going to be the same thing over and over again. And Ignacio came in one night and I was painting and I don't know like what, he didn't say anything that profound. It was just the way he said it, but he's like, why don't you do this? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, why don't you do this? Everyone you've ever met all your life has always loved your work. They've always 
ask to commission pieces from you. Like, why don't you actually dive in, take the next six months, see what comes of it. And it was just the way that he said it. And I think it was the position that I was in. I think it was the age that I was at. Um, I really was like, yeah, like, why don't I try this? I mean, literally at this point, what is the, I have nothing to lose. Right. Um, so I founded my studio and, uh, long story short, it took off. And I mean, the rest is kind of history with where I'm at today. So tell us a little bit in a nutshell about how you managed to have it take off. Cause, because I feel like Instagram has been a huge vehicle for you, but obviously you can tell the story better than I can about your trajectory. So this all happened not that long ago, right? I mean, you've, you've no, been pursuing I, um, art as your career for, uh, what, maybe three years? Not even. It'll be three years in August, which is the crazy thing to think. Wow. Um, I know. It, it has not been long at all. And actually, the story of how it all started is really funny. And I've done interviews and I've done speaking engagements. and I've actually, like, never shared this. But so how it all started before I even entered onto Instagram and started sharing my work that way. I, again, was pressed for cash. I was living off of unemployment, right? Had this idea of like, okay, maybe I'll sell my work. I have no idea what that looks like. I don't know where to begin. And like my crazy ass started putting up my work on like Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist, like anything to get a dollar. And I'll never forget, I did that. And the next morning I woke up and I opened my computer and I remember nudging Ignacio and I'm like, Ignacio, and I showed him my inbox and it was like completely filled with people inquiring about some of the pieces I had up. And then I went to Facebook and same thing. There must have been like 40, 50 messages, not, you know, bargaining, like they wanted to buy it. And when could they come pick it up? So I like, as crazy as that sounds, like that was the thing that told me like, okay, maybe people will resonate with my work. Maybe there is an audience there. Maybe there is, um, maybe there are individuals who who would appreciate my work. And then that's actually how it, it then I slowly transferred my personal Instagram into what is now, you know, the account that I have to show off my artwork on a much larger scale, right? And a bit more, I mean, to be honest, a bit more refined, obviously, than Craigslist. <laughs> but, um, but that's really how it all started. And, um, you know, I, I noticed that when I would post my work on Instagram, I would get obviously all of these DMs and comments about if things were for sale and where they could buy them. And then, I mean, even people like yourself, I mean, I think you, you originally had DM'd me. I don't even know if I was doing what I was doing for like three months at the time, but designers then started like reaching out and wondering like, would I be interested in commissioning a piece for a project? Um, so it, it all happened really fast. That's amazing. It happened really fast, but yeah. That's so great. Well, and the rest is history because now, I mean, you're so busy and so, you know, your pieces are so sought after. You do what I think are really smart. It's a really smart strategy where you um, will work on a collection and then release it all at once and it sells out so quickly. Yeah. And I think a part of that to me has always been, I've always wanted my work to tell a story. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's not a churn and burn. It's not, it's very rare that I ever just create a piece and then put it up for sale. It, I always want it to be a larger story. Um, and it's whether or not, you know, a certain collection has inspired me or the collection has been inspired by something, but all the pieces really do kind of correlate to one another and form one large collection. Um, whether it be, you know, my bibliotech collection, which is, I take these antique, uh, 18th, 19th century English and, uh, French documents and do abstracts on, and they typically have a similar color palette throughout. Or even like large scale, like my uh, my large abstracts on canvas. It's funny. I did a, I released a project with a company back in January, and I think they got actually a really quick sense of of that mentality fast because we were releasing the pieces and they were selling before we actually were able to put them up as a full curated collection. And there were some like technical glitches, and here like those pieces wouldn't be included into the larger. Uh, collection if you will mm -hmm. and I was so upset I was like I go crazy I'm like I I want to take it down completely I don't want to do this because to me it's not about the sale it's about all of those pieces together collectively tell this story that I'm trying to um, communicate and if they can't be seen together then it's kind of a waste for me and that's the thing with my work is I, I don't want it to just be um, a one-off thing that you know from an aesthetic standpoint, people can find pleasing. There's really a lot of depth and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stories behind what it is that I create and what I do. And if that can't be told co cohesively, I don't want to tell it. Which of your, your collections that you've released up to this point, would you say has been the most successful or the one that you're most well known for? I would say it depends. I mean, Obviously, my portrait collection was the one that that really got me started. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still uh, I get asked all the time, like, will you continue them? Will you ever take them away? I'll never take them away because to that point that I, I mentioned early on in the conversation, you know, that's such uh, an attachment to like my childhood and, and really the early years of me creating artwork. I mean, I'm talking I used to have art books and they would have these portraits and I would rip them out. And with oil, pastel and crayon, I would do this crazy appropriation over them at eight and nine years old you know my parents still have those that's such a link to the foundation to what it is that I do and I think to your to your question that was the one uh the one the one collection that I did that really kind of um got people to notice my work that's amazing. Well, they're so fun and interesting because it really is such a tangible iteration of sort of a modern element meeting a very very classic or traditional one so they work so well and they're cheeky they're fun totally yeah and I always I always love you know with my geometric collection and again my bibliotech it's always about taking a part of the past and bringing new life to it right so taking those old world elements and giving them a modern day twist and I think that is kind of the root and the ethos if you will, for the rest of the work that I do. Um, so, yeah. So Josh, you're a very gifted artist, but you also have an impeccable eye for interiors. How would you describe your style? Oh, and that actually, 
that actually all happened by mistake too. <laughs> I think just showing, like, I get asked, Paloma, I get asked all the time, like, do you do interior design? Do, and I'm always like, no, hard stop. Nope, it's not for me. <laughs> I think the spaces that I create for myself, I, I create them the way that I do because I know that they're for myself. Um, but I don't think I'd ever have the patience, uh, honestly, to to work with other clients in their homes. And that's where my hat is always tipped off to interior designers like yourself. It's it's yeah. like that that is a an undertaking. Just think um, about the most challenging commission you've ever worked on for the most yeah. demanding client that needed the I most hand holding, and that Mm-mm. is basically nope. interior design in a nutshell. <laughs> nope. And like I said, I learned very early on, like. I and look, I am an introvert. I am an only child. I'm a Scorpio. I work best when I am alone. And I learned that and like anytime that it has to do with like a third party, that's a no. But to that's kind of a long winded um, answer. But to answer your question, that happened by mistake, because I would obviously photograph my pieces and people would then inquire like, Oh, I like, love your home. And I love your studio. Can you show more of it? Or you know, what's off to that left corner? So people started resonating, resonating then with the interiors part of, of my um, aesthetic and look, if you will. But I would say that my look is definitely rooted in um, a neoclassical design that, you know, utilizes a tone on tone palette. And then I have, I would like to think that I have, you know, a strong emphasis then on juxtaposition and infusing high contrasts within spaces. But well, yeah, I, I think the way that you design your home and your studio, the different spaces that you've done feels very, very cohesive with not only your work, but also the way that you dress there, you know, like your style sure. is reflected through and through and all of those different elements. It's sort of monochromatic, but there's mm-hmm. an interesting sort of mix of um, materials and influences that makes it feel really layered, but it's certainly like all executed through your eye. You're, I mean, people can tell. There's a saying that people usually dress like their interiors, and it isn't always true. But I think in your case, your point of view is very, very strong. And that shows in not only the way that you live and design your home, but in your art as well as mm-hmm. in your wardrobe. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with me, too, is I live in the city, right? And I've, I've been living in big cities now for over a decade. And there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of chaos. And as much as I love it, and it's definitely something that I feed off of, um, walking into a neutral space like our home, it's it's very calming and it's very important for me to th- kind of think clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think even to, to your point, like even the way that I dress it is, it's usually always monochromatic. Um, very simple, very uniform. Um, But that allows me then to, because I am someone who lives in their head, it allows me to kind of think freely and kind of uh, form my thoughts and and my creativity in a much more clear way. Well, as you mentioned earlier, you are a Scorpio and an introvert, as am I. Mm -hmm. I'm also a Scorpio Mm -hmm. and an introvert. I think our (laughs) birthdays are just a couple of days apart. But um, I can certainly relate to that because I'm very sensitive to what I call visual noise. So Mm -hmm. if anything is out of its place, if there's clutter, if there's just like too much color and pattern going on, as much as I love really layered into Interiors. That's just sure. not the way that I can live or the way that I want my personal workspace to feel because it then sort of interferes with my thought process to some level. 
Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even even within my own home and my studio, you know, I, a question I get asked all the time is like, are you afraid of color? Are you like, do you not like color? And that's absolutely not the case. And I, I've had collections where I release, you know, a collection that's predominantly, you know, red and some that are green. And it could be just basically what I'm, you know, passionate about at the time but the problem for me is is when I'm around a lot of color again it creates a lot of noise in my head and it doesn't allow me to see things clearly so I'm someone who always kind of lives my eyes live through texture not color so Mm -hmm. I'm always noticing texture and I'm always trying to incorporate texture as that second and tertiary element within a room versus adding in a lot of pattern or color and that's just for me I don't know. But at the same time, some of my like favorite interior designers and interiors period, like some of my favorite rooms that I can think of have a lot of color in them. So it's just it's just a personal thing as far as me living amongst it. It's a bit noisy mm-hmm. and a bit distracting to me. But that's not to say that I, I do not appreciate it and love it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so subjective. Tell Absolutely. us tell us a little bit about your process as an artist. Where do you typically start when you're working on a new painting? Do you wait for inspiration to strike and then follow your muse and create a full-fledged story like you talked about with these collections? Or um, is it just sort of instinctual? And then does the process vary when you're working on a commissioned painting versus something that you're just creating out of a desire to create? Yeah, absolutely. So it depends on the collection, obviously. Like I think of, again, the bibliotech collection that I did, I was collecting uh, and buying and sourcing all these beautiful, beautiful documents, not even thinking I was going to do any like, you know, abstracts on them just because I loved them and thought they were beautiful. And then I was doodling and drawing on one one time and painting on it. And I just loved how it turned out. And then that turned out to be, you know, a collection on its own. A lot of times it's just what's inspiring me, um, what I'm uh, what I'm being drawn to. A lot of times I'll just create a random piece of art and that actually will then inspire, you know, 15 other pieces. Um It really just depends. I mean, if you go up into my studio right now, my assistant always laughs because you go up there and in every little corner, there's like these random paintings that I'm sure like people would love. Maybe some would even buy, but they're not ready yet. And again, it's because I don't want to just sell them as a one off thing. I want I want to kind of live with them and see them and be around them to see what else can be aspired from them as potentially a new collection. So Very cool. What are some of your favorite mediums and materials with which to work? Yeah. So like I said, I I love texture. And for me, one of my favorite things that I do is I do a gesso plaster oil mix um, as a base layer before I ever even then go back into paint onto it just to kind of create that texture. I love that um, my pieces at night, you know, even if you have a simple gallery light over them, the texture that a scene and the way that that's captured is really important to me. So I do that mix. And my whole thing with my, my pieces is when you view them, I want you to be able to stand there and look at it for hours and not notice every single element or every single detail. And that's because I do have a multi, sometimes it's like six to eight different layers that then create the actual final piece. Mm -hmm. So I'll go in there with that plaster background I'll let that dry. I do an oil coat on top of that. I'll go in then with graphite and do little different elements. And then I'll whitewash that. And then I'll come back with a palette knife. And then I'll put more plaster on it. 
And again, it's 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 burying the different layers, but still having them be visible um, so that when you, again, view it, there's great depth and there's um, a lot of different intricate moving pieces that then create that final piece of art. That's amazing. And so cool that you're self-taught and through experimentation and just following your, I guess, natural instinct and talent have been able to create things that are so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Um, who are some of your favorite artists? Oh, God, I have so many. I mean, look, with my story of moving to Italy and be being an American in Italy for six years, like Cy Twombly was obviously a huge influence of mine and can easily be seen in my work. Um, there was uh, just the thing that he had lived that life that I can kind of relate to in a weird way. Um was always kind of inspiring to me. I love Agnes Martin. I love Miro. I love Francis Bacon. Um, but my, I'm not necessarily only inspired by artists, right? Like there are, have been so many other creatives and characters in history that, I mean, I'm sitting here at my secretary and I'm like looking up and I have framed photos of Truman Capote and Wallace Simpson and little Edie Beale like, even though they had nothing to do with the art world per se, just who they were as people and the lives that they live has definitely inspired me. Um, believe it or not, one person who I adored, like adored, was uh, the late Franca Sozzani. So she was the former editor-in-chief of Vogue Italia. And um, she had the most amazing eye. I remember, like, waiting for her... Uh, magazines to be released every month to see what it is that she did but she took such a classical approach to her shoots but was able to make them current and modern in a way that I think no one else has and um I just love I loved her eye I loved her vision um if anyone ever has time on Netflix there's an amazing documentary about her it's called uh chaos and creation and you really get a behind the scenes uh look at what it is that she did, not only for the magazine, but what she did for the fashion world. And um, she's actually a, a graduate of the university that I went to. And I used to literally like stand. It was almost like, I'm sure it was like creepy to anyone who would like <laughs> see me doing it. But I would stand across the street at Cadorna Station. And I would like just wait to see her long. She had these really long blonde curly like locks. And mm -hmm. she'd come out. And um, I'm proud to say I did a couple initiatives for her early on for the magazine and she's just someone that I'm constantly referencing back to again it was the way she viewed the world it was the way that she viewed um I don't know she had an artful eye to everything that she did and I just I I hope that I can um do that myself and I I always try to kind of check back into that place of being 22 years old and absolutely admiring everything that she created and, and kind of have a same um, attitude and approach to things that I create. That's wonderful. Josh, now, you know, you've talked a lot about your trajectory and how you have changed lanes and tried things and some things worked out and some things didn't. So obviously, you know, people may see you, they may see your Instagram and think that you have this wonderful, glamorous life and mm -hmm. this wonderful, um, atelier and everything but surely there have been challenges what do you think are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome as a creative business mm -hmm. well and you, I mean hello that's it right mm -hmm. I learned very quickly that 
and to your point, a lot of people think that I just go up my studio all day and paint and that's, you know, close, close shop at six o'clock and call it a day. And that is like, that could not be the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, these last two years, I learned so quickly that the creative part of my job is probably only 10%. Um, and again, it's funny, my assistant learned very quickly too why I, why I needed to hire her is, mm-hmm. you know, I was constantly waking up in the morning, answering emails, thinking of what to shoot for content on Instagram, uh, following up on commissions, then working on commissions, and then talking with my FedEx account exec to make sure shipments were going out. It was like getting to a point where I'm like, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. And the part of me is like, when I, again, when I get, when things get too daunting, I can't think clearly. And if I can't think clearly, the best work is not going to come out of me. Um, And that's, that's the hard part with having a, you know, quote unquote, creative business is that you really have to be, um, you are, I should say, you have to wear all of those hats and, and do so in, in, in a meaningful and effective like manner. Right. Right. Um, so that that's been challenging. I think I've been okay with it. I'm very lucky too because my husband, Ignacio, I mean, we could not be we are different in every sense of the word. Like I'm from North America, he's from South America. I'm six three and blonde, he's five seven and dark hair. I'm an artist, like out to lunch half the time. He's such a like <laughs> analytical person and like always responsible. So he has actually been a huge, 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 huge part of my growth. Not only did he like inspire me to do what it is that I'm doing right now, right? But I mean, just from a business standpoint, he has just always been um, the one to really follow up on me to continue to kind of, you know, cross all my T's and dot all my I's, if you will. Right. Well, I think you've made two really good points, you know, one of which is you have to have a really great support system when you're launching a creative business, because as you said, you you have to wear an infinite number of hats and there are so many different tasks to juggle every day. Part of the excitement is that no two days are alike and that you're in full control of your business and what you're sharing and creating in the world. But at the same time, it can be very daunting and it can feel stressful because the entire weight of it is on your shoulders. And if something goes wrong, it's, it always comes back to you. So, you know, there's that element, but then at the same time, just remembering that being a creative in business, you know, you have to think business first, unfortunately, and that may seem sort of counterintuitive to someone who is a creative, but it's 100%. really important for success because, you know, your reputation is the only thing you have. It takes your entire life to build it and it can be destroyed with one bad decision. So you have to take it really, really seriously and then make sure that you're delivering on, on anything that you're promising to a client or a customer or whatever it may be. But um, so little of it is actually the creative part and so much is the business you know really understanding margins and what it takes to to grow your business successfully and also having the wherewithal just a self-awareness of understanding your own strengths and weaknesses and then hiring people who can come in and do the things that you cannot do so that you can do the things that only you can do I'm such a huge proponent and advocate for the best use of talents you know everyone on a team is talented in their own way and when you're the person in charge you have to think about 
what is it that only I can do? And in your case, you know, your clients are obviously paying you because of your talent and they want you to create for them. They don't care who's calling FedEx and who's ordering more paint supplies and stretching canvases and doing all that. So you've got to find someone else to do that. You know, that's the stuff that people don't see until you sort of pull back the curtain, if you will. Absolutely. And it's honestly, Paloma, it's a lot of work. And the thing I honestly think the thing that helped me was having gone through all of those jobs. I was like, like, this is the failure is not an option, right? Like these last two years have felt like a decade. (laughs) We've barely taken weekends. We don't really get to travel that much. Like the business has been such and my studio has been such a part of our lives for these last two years. But I live, breathe, breathe, eat, sleep it because I love it. And there's, I know there's nothing else that I can do. So it requires a lot, but the, but the payoff is that I do something that I love. It's rewarding to me. It allows me to connect with so many people literally like all over the world. And, um, it's worth it. It's a lot of work though, to that point, it's a lot of work and you have to be responsible about it and, and have ownership in it. If, if this is something that you want to do. But, you know, it feels so different when you're doing something that you know is your calling and that you love with all your being, you know, for in your case, doing your art and for me, interiors, having been in other careers that we didn't love before that, I now fully appreciate every moment that I get to spend working and I work like a mad woman. I mean, there literally mm-hmm. is no distinction I, I between- can imagine personal and professional life. And that's sort of the way that I it's, you know, a reality of my own making. But I'm so grateful for it. And it doesn't always feel like work as cliche as that may sound. Whereas when I was a teacher, I mean, I would cry every Sunday night, because I had to go back for another week. And I basically like, left as soon as I could every day I didn't really go the extra mile and now like I never turn it off but it's so different because it's mine you know it's my baby and it's my passion totally and that and that's not to say that I don't have days when I mean it's so funny I'll come down here and I'll be bitching and Ignacio just gives me this side I like (laughs) you want to go back to that nine to five and I'm like oh yeah you know what bite my tongue all right yep here we go yeah let's follow through but it's true It, it is it's true it's so rewarding but there's a lot of work that 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 goes into it for sure well what advice would you have for someone looking to change lanes and make a career switch Again, I think it's actually, believe it or not, right now is an amazing time for that. Again, I kind of relate back to when I was laid off and was unemployed and had nothing to do. And from that stem, this like, you know, aha moment. But I really think that if there's something in your gut that's telling you that what you are doing isn't fulfilling you. And you have kind of an inkling or uh, an idea of what it is that would. Um, I really think it's worth exploring. Uh, Again, I'm a testament to that. I struggled for years and years and years with what it is that defined me and what was my true calling. And the minute I tapped into it, it was like the most amazing feeling. And it was obviously, it has been so rewarding. But I really, I'm, I'm a firm believer, like, look, if you have the resources, if you have the support system, that's a huge thing too. surround yourself with people who really support and believe in you. Um, what do you have to lose? We have one life. And if, again, if you really truly believe in your gut that there's a, a true calling that you have, I think it's worth exploring. 
I mean, don't you? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, life is short and we only get one, so. Absolutely. 100%. If, um, is there anything that people would be surprised to learn about you? I mean, again, one of the things that people always get, uh, or I I should say they're a bit shocked about is that I've only been doing what I've been doing for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people are always like, so like, you know, how many years, like like a decade or so have you been doing this? I tell them like, no. And and again, that's just because we've been working so hard and, and I've just been kind of burying myself within my own work. Um, Another thing kind of hinting back to what I said before too, but I am the most like, yeah, introverted, um, I love being alone as much as I'm on social media and engaging and again, uh, do events and speaking engagements, which I love to connect with the people that connect with my work. I'm very, I'm a very like private and introverted person and uh, gain a lot of my energy by being alone in my student or in my studio. Um, so that was actually one of the things my, my assistant was actually really surprised by. And I think just being around me, she kind of knows and sees how I kind of, um, I'm, yeah, a bit of an introvert, but. Well, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times now that it's only been a few years that you've been doing this. What has surprised you the most in this time? Oh, my gosh. Um, What has surprised me the most? I honestly just like, I honestly think it's just the the reaction that that people have had to my work. Like, I'm, I'm so grateful and so thankful. And it has provided me a life that. I literally could only have dreamt of. Um, And I'm, again, so appreciative of that. And it's been such an amazing experience to connect with other creators, artists, designers, um, people from various different industries and, and really uh, being able to connect on that creative level has been so rewarding to me. So rewarding. That's wonderful. Well, Josh, as you know, we're recording this conversation in the midst of staying at home during the coronavirus pandemic. What has this experience taught you? Have you found a silver lining? Yeah, I have. I'll tell you what, even though we've been busy, I have been slowing down a lot and I have been taking time. I have like weekly calls with a lot of my uh, close friends that I studied with in Milan. And I mean, to be honest, I probably haven't picked up the phone to talk to them in a few years now. And we have like weekly calls and things like that. FaceTiming with my grandparents, like it's been a really cool experience to, again, slow down and um, really invest and connect with people on a much more personal level now that we have the time. And not only have the time, but I think we've all found the importance of it in our day-to-day lives, right? Um, that's That's been really nice to me. Before I would come down from the studio and, you know, would hop right on the sofa and dive right into emails and start planning new collections or what are we doing with the website? Now I come down to the studio, I pour a glass of wine, I call my friends, I'll connect with uh, family members and just catch up on life. Um, that's been really 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 nice to do and it's something that i want to make sure that i'm doing you know once we get out of this quarantine uh to continue with so that's so great well speaking of once we're able to travel again where would you most like to go you know it i honestly don't think it'd be anything that extravagant 
I miss my city. I love Chicago. Like we have so much fun here. And honestly, one of our favorite things to do is we'll wake up on a weekend. We'll get in the car. We'll go on the other side of the lake to these small towns in Michigan that have like the cutest little antique shops and spend a weekend there getting greasy burgers and fries at a diner, like just him and I enjoying the day picking, um, I miss that. That's such a huge thing that I enjoy to do on my on my weekends and my time off. And again, really just uh, enjoying the city that I live in. I, I don't necessarily think that the first thing I'll do is hop on a plane and go anywhere international just because I love where I live. And it definitely feeds um, my creative energy and juices. And I miss it. I say I said it to my friend the other day. I'm like, I just I, I think everyone feels this right now. I just miss my life, yeah. right? Like I just miss being able to go out and experience the things that are outside my door as simple as that. And I think, I think that, that this entire experience has taught us just that, that our day-to-day lives, just how like special and precious, just going out to dinner with my husband, like that sounds like I would win the lottery if I was able to do that right now, just those simple things. So I'm actually just excited to get back to the the simple day-to-day life that we had before. Oh gosh, I couldn't agree more. And a weekend of burgers and antiques sounds pretty <laughs> perfect to me. Right up my alley. <laughs> so you'll have to let me know the next time you're in Chicago. We'd yes. love to do it. Well, I mean, who knows when that will be? Hopefully sooner rather than later. It's such a such a weird time, but we can only, only hope and dream at this point. 100%. Well, to that point, as we wrap up, Josh, what is currently giving you hope right now? Uh, what's giving me hope, again, is I think that I'm starting to see and everyone is feeling it again, that in this time, we're really re- recognizing and realizing what's important in our lives. That's not only the people that are around us, but it's, you know, to, to what we just, just discussed is, is how important it is to do what you love. Um, and again, I think in the silence, we're able to kind of recognize what what that is. And um, I've been seeing so much, even on Instagram, people kind of diving into uh, hobbies and projects that they've always wanted to do. And who knows, that can turn into a career. And that could, sp- I really think that this time in this period, you're going to see so, so much birth, right? So much mm-hmm. growth that has come from the quiet and the solace and the, the, um, being alone with one's thoughts. And again, it's not so not only just appreciating the simple things in life, but it's really been able to have people come to terms with what it is that they're passionate about and maybe what it is that they want to do once we get out of this. So that's, I, and I love seeing that. I really do. I love seeing that in others. So, cause I can relate to that. Sure. I think it's a great time for reflection. And if anything, we may be seeing a modern renaissance of sorts, I think, once we come out of this. One million percent. And I I think I really do believe that. So 100 percent. Yeah. Well, Josh, it has been so fun chatting with you. I'm so glad we could connect and learn a little bit more about your background and your story. And um, you've been so inspiring to, to chat with today. So thank you. Oh, no. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. I hope to see you soon. Sending love.
That was artist Josh Young. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website or subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying The Style Files, please consider leaving us a positive rating or review. It will only take a few seconds of your time and will make a huge difference for us. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.